Hello, and welcome to The Vergecast, the flagship podcast of TheVerge.com. This is like a very special Vergecast, because it's there's a bomb cyclone in New York City. A, a bomb cyclone, that's the technical term for the snowstorm that's happening. So all of us are like hunkered down in various snow shelters. Can I'm I say not. something that might be controversial? Yeah. It just kind of looks like it's snowing outside. <laughs> no, 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 bomb cyclone. <laughs> anyway, Paul, I, you're in. Paul, you're in the office right now. Yeah, I made it. I survived the bomb cyclone. <laughs> it's like just you and Lauren. Yeah, yeah. Lauren Grush is tweeting pictures of her like doing like some Martian esque survival tactics in the office. She's like building forts and biomes. She's definitely growing potatoes here. By the way, in case you're wondering who these people are who are talking. Because you have foolishly chosen this to be the first episode of the Vergecast you've ever listened to. Uh, I'm Eli Patel. Paul Miller is in the office. Hello. Dieter Bone is in San Francisco. Is it snowing in I San am. Francisco? I am in San Francisco, not in New York, where it's not snowing because we're not. We're fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> you guys had an earthquake. Though, we did have right? an earthquake this morning. And you know, you know what we did when we had the earthquake this morning? We went back to bed. That's what you do. <laughs> 72 and sunny, dear. It's going great. And that fourth voice you're hearing is our friend Russell Brandom. Hey, Russell. Hi. Happy to be here. Yeah. So we, we should just start. So we've got a couple of things to talk about. Um, we were obviously off last week. We're headed to CES next week. Uh, so we got to talk about what's going to happen at CES. At CES... Uh, we won't be doing a regular Vergecast, but Dieter and Paul and I will be hosting the Circuit Breaker Show live on Twitter each and every day, which just saying it out loud seems like a foolish decision, but we're going to do it, and it's going to be great. So we'll have all the gadgets from the show, we'll have hands-ons, we'll be posting that. I think our producer, Andrew Marino, is going to be doing some special behind-the-scenes stuff in the Vergecast feed from CES. No traditional Vergecast, we'll just be doing the Circuit Breaker Show. Um, so we're going to talk about what's going to come up at CES. But we got to start with why Russell's here, which is just gigantic news. The biggest news potentially of the year for computer security. Which the, is year, that, uh, the year is four days old. I know. That's why I said it. <laughs> let's measure that statement. Let's see. Let's see if it's real. OK. Uh, but right. I mean, it's, it's the year has begun and there's already this gigantic news um, <clears throat> that certainly all Intel processors for one of the vulnerabilities and potentially all processors, period, all modern processors for the other one, are compromised in some way. Russell, can you explain what's going on here? Yeah, so um, essentially there is a lot of data that is on your computer that you don't want all the programs on your computer to have access to. Kernel memory, right, this is the thing. Uh, and they figured out some, because of the way the processors were sort of dealing with uh kind of running things in parallel, right? Like running more things in parallel has been a big way that we've gotten processors to run faster over the last 20 years. And it turns out one of the ways that we were doing it, which was speculative execution, sort of allows you to find out things about kernel memory, which is what, really what, bad. And potentially you can use this to just extract passwords and, and encryption keys and all the, like, the crown jewels. So there, there are two bugs here, Right. There's, yeah, although maybe there are three. It's kind of weird. It's like, well, how do you divide them up? It's true. Yeah, well, so, there, okay, there are two categories. One is called yeah. Meltdown. Yeah. And that is the one that affects certainly all Intel processors. Yeah. And then the one that you are just describing, speculative execution, which we should explain what that is, is called Spectre. Well, no, so speculative execution is what the chip does, and they're all, and, and so chips have been doing this for 20 years, and and they're this is like the core thing that both of the both of these are like exploiting. Well, the only thing I was getting to is the researchers yeah. who developed the bugs said they named it Spectre because it was related to speculative ex oh, execution. Yeah. Right. And then they're like, also the Spectre of this will haunt us for years to come. And you just like <laughs> I had this image of them like typing that and like smiling and being like, Larry, I put a joke in. <laughs> well, and We're so all doomed. Paul has been talking all day about like different metaphors for how this, <laughs> what this works. I, there was on Twitter, yeah. there was a great like library metaphor where like the librarian is bringing books to you on a cart and the cart is the cache of the, the cache memory of the processor 
And then mm-hmm. by asking for books, even though she doesn't give you the books, you can tell which books are on the cart. I don't know, Paul, what was your like favorite metaphor for this? So here's how I've been thinking of it. So that there's the, the two main bugs, Meltdown relates to out-of-order execution of instructions. And Spectre is speculative, which is this thing called branch prediction. Um, so... But basically, if if you're a program and you want to look at memory that you're not allowed to look at, an exception is thrown. And you have to basically handle that exception or your program is, is terminated. Right. So what Google's meltdown exploit does is it, it, it tries to access that memory. It gets shut down. But after the instruction to access the bad memory, it does stuff that basically is like a like a, a big semaphore in the the cache of here's what I found. So so while wait, wait, semaphore wait, 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 being on. like communicating with flags across. Just yeah. for, for the listeners who aren't familiar with yeah. semaphore. Right, yeah. well, so, so, <laughs> semaphore is how boat captains okay, say storms here, are coming. Here's my bad analogy, and I'll, I'll try to fix it up. You're gonna rob a bank, right? You walk up to the door. You don't rob the bank, but a parallel version of you in a different universe goes into the bank, goes into the vault, um, and picks up a piece of paper that has Neil's Netflix password on it and reads it. Um, but how computers are supposed to work is that person gets that that version of you in that parallel reality gets shot, and that's how computers <laughs> are running all the time. They're doing stuff that is is impossible or illegal. Because the this out of order execution, like it's not supposed to happen, but it does physically happen on the CPU. But just all the results are thrown away, so you don't get any results from that illegal thing happening. But the legal thing does actually happen, and so what Google developed is a special machine, so that while you, the version of you that just stood outside the bank, um, is waiting, the version of you that did go into the bank in that parallel universe reads the Netflix password, whispers it, gets shot, but you have a special listening device to hear across parallel universe boundaries the Netflix password. That's all I've ever is, wanted. Is this like, there was <laughs> that making, scene with the Flash in Batman versus Superman where he yeah. shows up and he's like, watch out, like this is a warning from the parallel universe. It's like, like that. Martha! The Netflix password is Martha! <laughs> aren't, aren't metaphors supposed to make things easier to understand, not more complicated? <laughs> yeah, what, at what point is a bank robber doing semaphore? <laughs> well, why is the <laughs> bank robber asking for Netflix passwords? He's in a bank! Russell, he should Russell, be asking you for can... money! Wait, actually, before we, before we go further down this, Paul, you've now <laughs> mentioned twice that it's Google who did this. Yeah, because they, but they did it like sort of like officially, right? They participated in Intel's bug bounty. Talk, talk about the people who discovered these bugs. Uh, Russell can probably talk to this better, but it's Project Zero, right? Yeah, yeah. So Project Zero, who I like desperately want to write about, and they they apparently are very secretive about these things. But basically, Google for a long time has been really invested in like finding vulnerabilities, and they're just really good at it. They're they're like extremely good at finding vulnerabilities in commonly used software and not just Google software, which sometimes gets like Microsoft mad at them. And they're also very aggressive about sort of disclosing it. Like they'll really 90 days is what you get and that's it. Now, I don't know. This one is interesting because we're saying Intel. And I think the early rumor when people were talking about it was that it was an Intel specific bug. And then as we kind of get more into it, it's kind of more complicated than that. There are certainly variants of this that infect AMD. There are certain things that like, I mean, everyone's having to patch, right? Like every operating system has had to patch every sort of, like it, it, it's kind of everyone's problem because everything's running on Intel processors, but also, I mean, or, or AMD processors or any of this, but it really is, as as kind of technology gets more integrated and it's more people building like on top of things other people have built, more and more of the vulnerabilities are just, it's hard to be like, this is the person, this is the single company that needs to know about this. It's just how many people can we tell before criminals find out and start actively exploiting this? Yeah. Uh, and so that was kind of what we saw is that everyone knew something was up as of like last week, 
and there was, but certain people were under embargo and certain people weren't. And the register kind of came out ahead being like, well, we're not under embargo, so we're going to tell you what we know. And we sort of thought it was specific to Intel, but also didn't know the whole story. Right. Would you say the register bit the hand that feeds IT? Well, I mean, it's like, <laughs> I mean, embargoes are always like a tricky thing, right? I think there, there are always going to be people who get them and people who don't get them. And then if you don't get them, then you don't honor them. And so yeah. you're either inside the tent or you're not. Um, so I do think this one was just the... too broad to really be yeah. sustainable. There were too many people who had to know. I was really so disappointed that the second. register so waited runs until this huge uh, security research division called Project Zero. Yep. They're the ones who discovered these two vulnerabilities. Well, in there were, there well, was in kind of like academic researchers, researchers too. Yeah, yeah. It kind of all right. ran through Google Zero eventually. Okay, so then there's two vulnerabilities. We're just like already so deep in the weeds. I'm just trying to. Be oh like, yeah, yeah. Here's totally. what happened. So Google, in uh, partnership uh, with academic researchers, discovered these two very serious vulnerabilities. One which apparently involves pirates in a bank with flags. It's called Meltdown. <laughs> That's they. The pirates get your Netflix password. The other one is called Spectre, and that has to do with speculative execution. Paul, can you explain that? Because that one appears to be the more serious one. Like, Meltdown so, is already being patched all over the place. It seems pretty focused on Intel, yeah. right? So in Google's papers, um, wait, Dieter's been trying to say something. Dieter, what were you trying to say? I was going to make a joke about boffins. Just, just oh, move nice. on. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, so Meltdown... Um, in, in Google's paper, Google has two PDFs, one's for Meltdown, one's for Spectre. In Mel the Meltdown paper, they say, we haven't been able to reproduce this on AMD processors, but we don't know for sure that it's impossible. This is, it, Google has almost developed a new technique of attack, mm -hmm. and all the implications are not necessarily known. Um, it, I heard somewhere that AMD basically is saying that the, the version of you that goes into the parallel universe and into the bank vault is literate. Like they, their architecture doesn't allow out of order memory reads, just executions. Like, so that the CPU can do stuff out of order, but you can't read memory in, in that out of order. And therefore they're safe from this. Spectre is based on branch prediction. So branch prediction in computers is that like, you know, like when you kind of warm up a process and it starts working better over time, it's because the CPU is figuring, hey, I'm in this loop and this loop keeps going as long as it's true, but it keeps on being true. So I'm just going to assume I'm going to do this and I'll do it like a whole bunch of times. And if I'm told that, oh, wait, I went too far, um, then I'll like, you know, discard all those results and pretend it never happened. Um, and so what, what they're basically doing is they're reading... Um, legitimate memory and then they read past the end of that legitimate memory into the bad zone and then as far as i know they do the same sort of semaphore thing which i can attempt to explain if you want me to but they you know they 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 signal that the the information that they found once they got past where they're supposed to be and the thing with specter is that it it can't get at kernel memory like meltdown can but it can get at any other memory in the same process. And guess what has a bunch of sensitive information all running in the same process? Your web browser. And you can do Spectre. They've done Spectre with JavaScript. Wow. So right now, as far as I know, Russell, please correct me if I'm wrong, a rogue actor could create a JavaScript Spectre attack, buy some ad space on a bad website, that doesn't vet its ads and, um, and hack whatever else it can find in that running process. Is that correct? So a lot of people are saying that they've patched against Spectre and we're sort of evaluating those claims. It's kind of tricky. A lot of people are patching, but then the patch is not really any clearer than the bug. So, but I mean, I do think that the scenario you describe where like there's a, a weird JavaScript thing that's running on your computer and then suddenly it gets all of your passwords is exactly the thing people are worried about because it has to, for this to work, it has to be running on your computer, but it can be running at the sort of lowest possible privilege level. As long as it can get stuff into the processor, then it can find out the other stuff that's in the processor. It, it, what's so scary about these is it, 
this is really an attack on the basic building blocks of what makes computers secure. Like the whole reason your browser is secure is because it's an isolated process. Well, why is it an isolated process? Because the CPU doesn't allow that isolated process to look at memory outside of it. It's protected kind of at the CPU level. And this is an attack on that basic foundation of security. Yeah, and I think that's why it's so hard to predict exactly what the implications are because it's sort of this was this basic logical building block that we had for for computer systems that like there's memory like there's this kernel and you can't get into the kernel but you can ask it questions and like that's just a basic sort of move that we thought we knew how to do mm-hmm. and now it turns out we've been doing it wrong this whole time uh which I would have I would love to be if, sorry whoa. things are falling over behind me but uh <laughs> yeah so we don't really know what to do with that other than like rip all the chips out of our computers <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have just been in the room when these researchers are like let's burn it all down but no like this this to me is really fascinating and and Russell maybe you could talk about this a little bit but like there's this whole embargo there's all these researchers there's a bunch of people that know it's coming and are like quietly patching or getting ready to quietly patch and then a little thing leaks out and then all of a sudden there's this rush and it's not just hey here's a research paper it's hey Here's a research paper. Here's another research paper. Here's a website with an FAQ. Here's two cute little logos. Oh for yeah, these different the logos are like people complain some, about like, the logos. Here's some cute cutesy names to like let you grab onto them. And with like previous th- like you put all that together, it's like a whole media strategy from these security researchers. And typically, when you see that sort of thing, and I you know I, I keep on thinking about Heartbleed, like. It's designed so that a regular person can be can can hear about this thing on the news and be like, oh yeah, the blah 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 virus. I can actually or the blah 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 security vulnerability. I can pay attention to that. That makes me think I should go act on this problem. And then they go and they update their stuff. But here it's like, oh yeah, the blah 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 thing. Uh, uh, I guess I just have to hope that Amazon cloud services <laughs> update their shit. Like there's there's a whole lot of yeah. like well, noise I mean, they and fury getting created, <laughs> but I can't tell who it's getting directed at. You know, update your Windows, right? I mean, that's like a thing that you should do. Microsoft issued that patch. Yeah. So it, it, Apple's like, been pretty quiet, but anyway. Yeah. So uh, this is uh, this is I think the question that I, I've had since the beginning. The the you know the white papers and the researchers they're like this affects smartphones. Spectre affects any processor that does out of order execution, but I haven't seen a clear um, speculative execution. Branch I haven't prediction. seen a branch prediction. Any pirates <laughs> with flags? Some are <laughs> uh, uh, but I haven't seen a clear link to between this and iOS devices or Apple's A series processors. Are they implicated in this? Yeah, we don't know. I mean, I think the, the the point Paul was making about AMD, like there's a lot of, they kind of tried to do this on as many processors as they could. And they made it work on like some version of an AMD chip that they had like sort of physically changed to make it more hackable. So it's not like a great representation of the AMD chips that are just in someone's computer. I don't know that they've really taken a run at the Apple chips at this point. Like the the question of has this been demonstrated on this chip is really just maybe there wasn't time to try. They thought all of this was going to break a week from now, and they were certainly going to be trying a lot of things in that period of time. Um, That's that's one of the big unknowns is I, I also think given the like core nature of it that a lot of chips are doing this these things like this is stuff that the industry learned 20 years ago you could do to make your chip run faster and like handle more commands at once and so everyone's just doing it now maybe there's some reason why it wouldn't work on apple chips but it's weird to say default assumption i mean the default assumption has to be that it kind of works on everything which Mm -hmm. is part of what's so alarming about it i mean these are very universal ways software works like this is built in like to C and C++ the idea of exceptions the idea that if you are trying to read some memory and you go out of bounds of of where you're actually supposed to be you get an exception and your program dies crashes or or you handle that exception like 
So you so you do that a lot, and it's it, it's 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 the completely common um, architecture of computers. And from reading the papers, it sounds like Google has like for a lot of these things, like okay, here are like three or four ways that we think we could do this. This one seemed like the easiest one, so this is the one we actually did, and here it is working. But there are these more difficult ways that possibly maybe somebody with you know more time or or worse intentions could could employ and and get it to work in more scenarios. So here's the other weird thing. So the big question is like, what do we do now? You can patch it and patches are going out. I mean, and and the really interesting and important patch is what the, the firmware of the chip, right? What can, how can the chip behave differently so that you can't do this so it doesn't work, right? The easy answer is just don't do the stuff that was slowing things down. <laughs> or, I mean, don't do the stuff that was speeding things up so that you will just sort of roll back this innovation in, in chip <laughs> processing. Which is, and so people were looking at this from afar and saying this is going to slow down every processor in the world by 15%, right? I mean, this is a thing that people believed you know, it was a very real possibility. It was like, we were it was like between at. 12 and 30% by some estimates. Yeah. Well, so now they're saying, I don't know. The, the Google has just said, we have this way of doing it that will not cause, will causes negligible slowdowns. And Intel says that they have a similar thing. I mean, Intel, you figure they're maybe not the most reliable source at this point, but I don't see I mean, why how, Google. How would. angry is Intel right now that the story broke specific to them? Uh, and like that just, nobody can shake it. Right. Because everybody else yeah. is like, all right, well, this is Intel's problem. Uh, well, the, people this is are the saying thing, it's Intel's problem, one, so we're going to let them think that. But the meltdown, the meltdown was one problem. was sort of like focused on them and it yeah. was the most exploitable. So I wonder as things were leaking out, if that was just the thing that leaked out. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it is, it is tricky. Uh, but, but so the interesting thing is it could be that there's a patch out there that we figured out some better way to do this that isn't sort of susceptible to this attack, and it doesn't really slow down the chips, and we just sort of push it out to everyone, and everything's fine. Or the other scenario is once all the pitches or once all the patches go out, everything is ten percent slower, <laughs> or like two years. Right, we're turning back the clock on Moore's law by two years yeah. because. Which is an insane thing to think about in the context of consumer technology where so much of the assumption is you want the new computer because it's like measurably faster than any computer you've used in your life. And you can you you know use all of these programs that you know you can't use on a two-year-old computer because it just doesn't have the power. And I now know, suddenly, have you tried a new MacBook Pro? You're <laughs> still sitting right there. Uh, well, so here's my question, right? So it broke specific to Intel. I feel like we, we didn't have a show last week, but last week was the Apple battery situation. Right? Yeah, we talked about it a bit. We had it. We had we had a little bit of Vergecast about that, but not like the full extent of the madness. Yeah, they apologize. Yeah. But it seems like we're just in a, a, a moment where software that slows down your computer for to solve some problem is it's like a, it's a solution that is just like appearing now. Yeah. Right? Like it all of a sudden. It seems like well we're a little we're like we're a little too far over our skis w with processor performance. If we actually just throttle this back, we can solve some of these bigger problems. Is that does that seem like a trend or is that just two unrelated data points? Well, I wonder. I mean, people were talking about maybe the low hanging fruit with Moore's law and speeding up processors is kind of over, and we've been like over optimizing for, you know gigahertz, which is not in the end that useful compared, if you, if you had to choose like gigahertz battery life, like <laughs> it is actually from a consumer perspective, they probably care less about it than the people working in the industry do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I, I, just anecdotally, we've heard about Apple stores being like inundated with people who just want a new battery. Like they can't, they can't quite keep up. And it's like, yeah, people, if you give them the same phone with the same performance, but the battery lasts as it did, you know, a new battery, like they'll take it. They're like happy to pay the 30 bucks. I think as it relates to this, like they're totally different problems, but would you pick a more secure computer that ran a little bit slower? I think the answer is like undoubtedly yes. So I, I just wonder like, 
are we in a bit of a recalibration? And does this give, honestly, does this give Intel some space, right? Like it's all targeted Intel, but they make the most chips, especially for like these cloud applications, but obviously the most chips and desktop PCs, of course it's focused on them. The question to me is, is it work on ARM processors? Like are Samsung chips affected? Are Qualcomm chips affected? Are Apple chips affected? Once ARM that, processors are, we, we do know that there are at least some instances where it affects ARM. I think it, yeah. it is like they're, they've kind of become like a second fiddle in the story. And AMD was really loudly saying it's not us, and people were like, <laughs> I'm not sure. But, I mean, it is other places. I think the other thing is these, this, you know, it, it, even if it were just Intel, they are so dominant in the industry, and their chips are so just inescapable. Anything you do in technology is going to be relying on this at some point, just at some stage of the stack, that one basic design flaw really is an industry-wide problem, even if it's just this one company. Right. Yeah, we wrote that, we had the story that was like, the big problem here is all these cloud computing providers. Yeah, so a couple things about that. Like, one, I mean, we, we, we've we've had the, the parallel universe metaphor, the semaphore metaphor, and it didn't quite <laughs> no, explain No, the semaphore happens in the parallel universe. Oh, God. Universe. Um, but the... The deal, my understanding is the deal is if there's a bunch of different apps running and all, they all use the same processor, use the same kernel, they're not supposed to find out each other's information. But that's on your computer, that's one thing, right? Maybe a web page will do it. If someone has physical access, they could do it. Like, that's one thing. But on a cloud server, on AWS or Google Cloud or whatever, uh, there are like hundreds of apps that are basically the web services you use every day that are running off of these giant servers. And that is a much more terrifying vulnerability. Um, and so that, that's what Russell explained in his article. But like the thing that I'm trying to wrap my head around, and maybe by the time this episode airs, uh, it, the state of play will change. But it seems like our initial take on Spectre was we're doomed for 20 years. We're doomed until every processor gets replaced. But now, like Google and Amazon, or at least Google, is coming out and saying, "Actually, no, we, we, it's fixed. We, we, we know how to deal with Spectre. It's fine." And like, I, I don't know. I have no way to judge whether or not that's true. It's very odd. Yeah, Russell, what's your read on sort of the the lightning fast whiplash here? Well, I think because of the way it came out, the first person, the first people to say that there isn't going to be a slowdown and we can deploy the patch and it's not a big deal was Intel who in some sense should know, but at that moment there was not a lot of impulse to trust Intel when they said that because I think people had first, they, well, first they said um, the uh, that other chip makers were affected, which turned out to be true, but yeah. then they also said there isn't, the, the, the workload is high, or the slowdown is highly workload dependent. And I think there just was not a lot of trust. There, it was sort of like they're going to, they're going to say this. There was also this weird thing about the CEO selling stock and, and people were kind of, and the embargo had been holding and holding and holding and people were kind of more and more frustrated by it. But I think, I don't know why Google or Amazon would go out on a limb and say, we fixed it this fast. Like, I think the fact that they're saying that is more compelling to me. Yeah, I still don't know if, I want to take them completely at their word. And I also think, I mean, the other thing about sort of deeper level vulnerabilities like this is they don't stay dead. Stage fright is the example I always use where, you know, I think for nine months, Google had a new stage fright fix out with every monthly Android security bulletin just because people kept finding like, oh, okay, well, you fixed against if I write it that way, but what if I write it this way and it comes around this other angle? And I mean, we to go to Paul's metaphor, it's not, it's not now it's my cousin, but he looks like me. It's not a parallel universe. <laughs> it's an identical twin. You can sort of keep playing this game and it's very hard to sort of fix everything. So I do think to the extent that like th there is a patch against the variants that we're aware of right now, and and again, the ones we're aware of are also the ones hopefully the bad guys are aware of, and so those are the important ones to patch first. But it, it, there's the big question mark for me is how robust is this fix at all? And we don't really know anything about what they're saying they did. Like Google, right. I don't know, 20 minutes ago came out with the most detailed explanation of what they did, but like 
I mean, I'm asking the researchers who found it, like, is this plausible? And they're saying, well, I, I don't know what Intel is working with. I don't know what they did, so I can't tell you whether it's plausible or not. Like, it just, this is a black box to me. What's the good news here is that Dieter, and hopefully me, but Dieter, at least, <laughs> uh, well, it depends on schedules, at CES, we're going to have Brian Kazanich on the Circuit Breaker Show. Yeah, I mean, th- for, not for nothing, but uh, Intel is giving the keynote speech at CES. Like, Kazanich <laughs> is going to be on stage at the biggest, like, electronic show of the year, three days, four days after all of this is, has gone down. And that's going to be a very interesting moment. Quebec, we're going to put Intel processors in everything. It's fine. I, I, I do want, <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't have any special love for Intel. Um, but I don't really think of these as bugs. This isn't like a dumb or, or careless engineer made like did a typo or, or like forgot to include a line or something like that. Like right. this, this was a carefully designed defense against security problems. And, and it was, you know, uh, there are definitely a lot of bugs in Intel CPUs and they're not like perfect, but this was working as intended in a sense. Um, and Google's attack was just better than it, smarter than it. Do you think it was more or less like the movie Sneakers? A lot like the movie Sneakers, for sure. Be great. Sorry, Marty. Right. Wait, can I try to can I try to describe the Semaphore thing? Yes. Because I My think God, this is really I've been waiting this whole time. This, this also relates to cryptography. There's what's called a side channel attack, and and basically after your cousin or whoever goes into the bank vault and reads the password. <laughs> that piece of code rewrites the cache uh-huh. in like in a real like special shape. And so you, you, because you're still not allowed to actually read this data that's in the cache, it's still protected memory. Um, but, but by writing it in such a, like a kind of a loud way, they're able to see a signal in that noise and and slowly pull data out of that signal that's created. It's like, you know, the cache is, is meant for, for ones and zeros, but, but, but they're making much larger shapes that end up representing ones and zeros in the cache. Um, and there's similar stuff is done with cryptography. I, I think it's, I think it's really, it's really interesting and, and, and it's probably going to be, you know, a longstanding thing in computer security that the fact that no matter how um, secret something is supposed to be in the computer, it's still a physical process that actually happens. And so, you know, something actually, some work is actually done and therefore it's detectable. And there's a lot of defenses in CPUs and in operating systems to sort of, you know, randomize memory layout and randomize the execution of things and try not to, in the way like um, cryptography algorithms are designed to not like give themselves away for what they're actually doing. But ultimately something actually has to happen on your computer physically. And therefore, if you can find a way to observe that, you know the secrets. I, yeah. That's fat. Like no one thinks about their computer that way, right? Especially as computers have become more and more like essentially solid state devices. Mm. Like we've stripped out moving parts from computers left and right. And the idea that there's like a physical process happening inside of a smartphone, I think is very opaque to people. Um, Because first of all, you, you, you certainly can't see it, right? Like something else that has, that is able to detect it has to see it. Apollo, are you saying that with regard to smartphones, you're, you're a strict materialist that there's. (laughs) 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 Yes. Yes, Absolutely. Okay. Well, uh, I do think there's something cool about like because th- that's something that comes up over and over again with like security problems in general. And I think even if it's not reading information, there's a way in which computer programming is kind of arranging these logical elements. And you, everyone's been thinking of the kernel as well. You put it in the kernel because that's the thing you can't see, and they had to establish that in a physical way. Or, or sort of the, the underlying components of that, everyone assumed held upheld these logical sort of 
this was this line in the sand. And then those elements break down. And that's what every security vulnerability is in some ways, is some logical thing that everyone assumed it, you know, this sort of sentence will hold no matter what. And we're going to build a program around it, this little block doing this thing. And then it turns out that, well, you didn't really pay enough attention to how it was working. And there's this other thing and the logic doesn't hold anymore. One, yeah. one thing I'm curious about, um, have you guys heard of risk V? It's like a, a new op- open source, uh, processor architecture and I'm, I'm i'm really curious to see if, if it turns out to, it's vulnerable as well um because one thing i'm seeing from some programmers is that these comp- cpus are so so complicated and there are simpler ways to design cpus and there's also less opaque ways to design cpus you know there's lots of undocumented instructions in intel processors because they're not you know open source so uh, you know, when Microsoft was having tons of problems with Windows and it, it felt like, wow, maybe we can never make a secure Windows. Like maybe we should start over from scratch. They started a branch in Microsoft to develop a new operating system from scratch as just, just as like a safety fallback in mm-hmm. case they couldn't ever get Windows right. Or if they were just sued by a bunch of world governments for putting unsafe software on people's computers. Um and they eventually uh, shut down that project because it turns out they, they were able to get Windows safe enough. But I, I wonder if, if you could see more tech companies, because there's a lot of tech companies already supporting RISC-V as like a really like low cost, you know, like something like a, a controller you can put in a hard drive or something. But more tech companies might be interested in supporting something like RISC-V as like, okay, we need a simpler, more um, transparent processor architecture so that we can be more sure that we're safe. I think it's like very idealistic. So I think the risk thing is really interesting. Like the idea of the open architecture, it tends to imply that like problems will be solved more efficiently because more people can see into it. But I, I, I think the challenge here is that you have to then apply the patch. Right, so the, the the fact that like there's only a handful of vendors who are in control here means that you get efficiency in patching, right? So like Intel can just like fix it and then like send the patch out to its processors. If you, you have to trust Intel, obviously, right? But you have the pure open thing and it breaks. It's like who is going to patch it and then how does that get distributed? I mean, Russ, that's why I'm, I'm, waiting, that, I'm waiting for the the other shoe to drop with ARM processors. Like if it if it ends up affecting iPhones. Apple will patch every single iPhone on the planet and they'll do it, you know, tomorrow. And then they'll do a patch three days later because they accidentally broke something because they're really bad at uh, software patches lately. Um, but if it affects <laughs> Android phones um, in a, in a really easily exploitable way, like if I can go to a web page on the Chrome browser, my Android phone, and they can execute some JavaScript that can get into this thing or it, you know, it gets into the play store or whatever. Um, then, like, this is yet another instance, and it seems like we have one of these, like, in, with increasing frequency of, is Google going to figure out how to get Android phones patched better? They've gotten way better than they have in the past couple of years, uh, but it's still, like, at some point, something has to give there where, like, it has to be, like, truly solved on a more permanent basis. You're saying like we need thing. a national telecom. Yeah. Oh boy. <laughs> Nationalize the shit. So I will just say Google in its mitigation sort of report said that on the Android platform, exploitation has been shown to be difficult and limited on the majority of Android devices. Okay. But that's not like impossible. Yeah. Like, so, I mean, timing mitigation for ARM processors was a patch that went out, but it's all still kind of haphazard. I mean, I, I don't know how much. That's going to hold. The, the right. other thing I would say on the open source front, the reason that it broke early and that there were all these uh, rumors about it was because it went out to Linux developers <laughs> because you need to patch the OS. And, and I mean, there are all of these servers things, you know, a lot of Linux based programs running on servers that are extremely vulnerable to this on, you know, on vulnerable processors that really did need to be part of the rollout. Right, but also then it was just in some open list serve, and you would get someone saying, "Well, I have this patch. 
it slows down the program by 17%, but we have to install it because there was this problem, and I can't tell you any details about the problem because, hey, by the way, I'm under NDA, but it's all Intel's fault. <laughs> and, like, <laughs> that was the listserv message. That was all we had to go on for, like, weeks and weeks. Um, so, you know, open source has its drawbacks, too. Yeah. This is why there should apparently only be one vendor, and that vendor should only allow certain developers who pay a fee to write application software in strict sandboxes. Right? Yeah. Isn't that the isn't that the Apple way? Like there's like a question is like, does iOS even let you do this without, unless you jailbreak the phone? By the way, I don't believe that's true. I'm just saying that's like Apple has its advantage there because yeah. it's very hard um, to even it's kind of hard to do formal ver- verification of a program to to tell for sure that it doesn't ever exceed an, an array boundary if you if you had a capability and like people do do a lot of work to try to test programs to make sure to, to hope that they don't but for like a regular c or c plus plus program um there's still a lot of errors out there as evidenced by any time anything bad happens with your software <laughs> <laughs> like well, this, the thing is like most the the the, the this is exploiting something that is basically looks like what a typical, the reason exceptions exist is because programmers mess up sometimes. Like, well, they should just stop so, doing that. <laughs> right. Uh, well, obviously. Obviously. So, so Russell, what's the, what's the, like the takeaway and what's next for sort of the average person listening to this? Um, well, definitely update your computer. Uh, and I would say definitely be aware of the fragility and impermanence of all that surrounds us. <laughs> <laughs> this is good life advice. Yeah, yeah I don't know if I have anything beyond that. I think it's tricky because we still, there is still so much we don't know compared to like most of the things we write about on TheVerge.com where like there's just a lot of stuff getting that's falling into the cracks between companies and between implementations. And so I feel like we don't really know what the, the one sentence takeaway on this is going to be yet. Right. Yeah. I'm telling you, this is the story of the year calling it four days in. Wow. I'm probably wrong, but you know, you gotta, (laughs) you gotta start the year with the, with the bang. All right. So here's the deal. We don't have ads today because this is actually like a, we weren't going to do a show. But then we're all, we're just, I'm sitting here in the snow. We should do a show. But we don't have a normal place to take a break. So, Paul, here's my idea. Yeah. Every week, uh-huh. you do a segment. And this yeah. week, mm-hmm. that segment will serve as the bridge from the Spectre discussion into CES discussion. That's, that's great. I'll do it as, a, as an ad. So what's your, yeah, do this. <laughs> so, well, it's, it's always got the same name, though. What's that name again? Uh, Mustard Back Off. Oh, I'm so, I'm so mad about though. this. You know when you get mustard all over your laptop? <laughs> <laughs> Don't you hate it? You're there. You are just living your life, and your must your mustard jars are surrounding your laptop, <laughs> and then you knock one over, and there's just mustard everywhere. Well, do I have a solution for you? Oh my god. <laughs> Dell is bringing a new version of its XPS 13 series laptops to CES this year. And they're mustard resistant. (laughs) Wait, wait. I have a number of questions. The first is, haven't laptops traditionally been mustard resistant? But this one is white. And so like there's a there's a bunch okay. of new materials happening to laptops. There's Alcantara fabric. And then like the Pixelbook has its advanced silicone variant, whatever the hell. Um, the question is, will that stay white or not? Because computers mine, just always mine, get grimy. And mine so is Dell's, definitely getting grimy. Yeah. Dell's new thing is that their their white version of their XPS uh, is mustard resistant. Yeah, it has a woven carbon fiber texture on the palm rest. And that's white. Um, and they say it claims that if you get permanent marker, mustard, and other staining materials on the white <laughs> surface, you'll be able to wipe them off within a week without any issue. Within a week? Yeah. So yeah. you don't, if you leave the mustard on your laptop <laughs> for more than a week, no guarantees from Dell. 
Um, So hang on. Like, I'm very angry about this new XPS 13. Okay. Promo code. Do they move the camera? Ads over. Promo this code is why mustard. I'm very angry. Yeah, the they, promo code is mustard. <laughs> right. The XPS 13 has was for years the default de facto go to. This is the best Windows laptop. It had the best design. It was super thin. It was great. It had tiny, non-existent bezels on the left side, on the right side, on the top of the screen, but not on the bottom because that's where the camera was. And everybody hated that camera because it shot directly up your nose. And (laughs) we've been waiting for for them to come out with a new version of the XPS 13 that could finally dethrone the Surface laptop from Microsoft or the Surface Book and be the next version of the thin, ultralight Windows computer that could be in the same category as Apple's like little itty-bitty MacBook but have all the power of a full Intel processor and not the crappy thing that Apple has been sticking in the MacBook and it would run Windows and it would be great. And I was very, very excited when I saw that it was also going to be mustard proof. So I clicked (laughs) that link and I saw they added the Windows Hello camera, it looks like, because there's two cameras, so it can do the Windows Hello login, which is awesome, but it's on the bottom again. They just What are they doing? they, They just don't, like... They they're just they want that tiny bezel and they can't figure out how to like just shift everything down and and so it's just on the bottom again. Just and they like, want to take take secret pictures of your knuckles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's going to be 0.46 inches thick. It's going to weigh 0.2 pounds less. Uh, uh, it's like it's going to be so good. Everything is going to be great and. They fixed the camera. Instead of being in the lower left, it's now in the lower middle. <laughs> <laughs> well, so now, I mean, we have to review this laptop and put mustard on it. Yes. First of all. Absolutely. And also on, on our, on our put face. Put some on mustard on it. <laughs> uh, like the wrapper. Yeah. Or now the, with the, the producer. <sighs> we've got a, I don't know, man. I know what you're doing, Del. All right. So that, to, I mean, like... If you have a super popular product that people love and there's but one complaint about it, shouldn't you solve that problem before adding mustard resistance? Yes. Yes, you should. They're like whiteboarding the priorities and they're like, "Mm." here's my question. Angela, you've got some great ideas about camera placement, but Steve here is working on mustard resistance. (laughs) I think we're going to go with that. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Is mustard like a more, does it work with like ketchup and mayo? (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like, can you spill an entire sandwich? I mean, Why would you light? lead with mustard? They say permanent markers. I just think they were trying to be, like, informal and anecdotal. No, because mm. if you're eating a sandwich and you, like, do the thing and, like, the, you know, the condiments squeeze out, mm-hmm. mayo's fine. Mayo's white. No one's but ever like, I got mayo stains. Ketchup's red. Ketchup is red, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> Thousand Island dressing is beige. Relish is green. <laughs> we gotta stop this. Uh, tweet us your favorite condiment and its color to at Future Paul, and we'll we'll make sure to spill it on XPS thirteen. When we get one in for review. All right, this brings us into gadgets. Yeah, this next week is CES. We are expecting a you know a medium flood of gadgets. I would say mm-hmm. every year CES seems to get a little bit smaller and a little bit more about cars. Yep. It's always the same level of about TVs. Mm-hmm. So there's already like 8K TVs. Roku's going to announce. They've already announced some like new voice control stuff that we'll probably see there. Do I really want a Roku voice assistant? Is that what I want in my life? No, I don't know why okay. they're doing this. Yeah. And they also you. announced something called Roku Connect, which lets you more easily pair a soundbar to your Roku. And it just seems like you are solving a problem that people don't have. Yep. At least as, as as far as I can tell. But like, I mean, we can we can basically guess right now that LG's like eighty eight inch eight K Super TV OLED TV is going to be the thing, right? It's going to be the TV that we need to go take a picture of and and then we'll publish it and say you can't tell from this picture, but this TV looks amazing. Like that's going to be yeah. the thing we do day one. Um, LG also uh, hilariously adding Google Assistant to WebOS, which I think is a delight. Uh, so it's new WebOS TVs are now <laughs> on Google Assistant, which I think is very funny. Yeah. Uh, it really makes WebOS on the TV seem, they should just switch it to Android and be done. Mm-hmm. But I think they're yes, like they too should. invested in it. Um, you know, it's interesting about LG. See, I think yeah. this is true of all TVs. 
they, they're putting out these TVs every, and, you know, it's like WebOS and then the 2017 TVs came out and WebOS had more features, but mm-hmm. the old TVs running WebOS didn't get those features. And now the new ones are going to get Google Assistant. And I couldn't tell you if that will come to its other products running WebOS, which I think is very irritating if you are buying a $3,000 TV. That's all. They should switch to the end. The end. Um, what else you, What else are you expecting, Dieter? Uh, I mean, we're going to see a bunch of electric car stuff. Uh, I'm actually pretty excited that um, whatever Eco, uh tries to do, everybody will laugh them out of the room. Um, I don't even know if they're going to be there at this point. Um, there'll be like, there's, there's a new HDR, uh, format war. Cause we haven't had enough of that. Uh, so that'll, uh, there'll be another standard there that we need to deal with. Um, we're going to see a bunch of wearables, but I am expecting there'll be zero Android wear. Uh, and a lot of it's going to be a little bit more health focused, which means that there's going to be a lot of like bogus health claims to deal with, uh, which is always a blast. Uh, and a bunch of, uh, AR stuff, I think. Uh, I think that uh, VR is still going to be there. Uh, disclosure, my wife works for Oculus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, maybe Oculus will actually show off some of the stuff that they announced at Oculus Connect. Uh, but I think that like a bunch of the other little guys are like, we've got AR2 and like, here's our app and here it is on a phone and here's some crazy glasses. Uh, like I bet Vuzix, uh, who does the the glasses with like that, they look like Google Glass, but they're like, they're more industrial. Uh, I think they're going to be all over the place. You think so? I think so. I think they're thirsty. They're always all over the place. Yeah. I and hope my that we actually, yeah. of this show is like last year was all Alexa. Yep. Right. Alexa was suddenly in every product that as near as I can tell, didn't mean anything to anyone. There's not a single Alexa enabled device that came out. Not made by Amazon. From Amazon. That matter. Well, Sonos one, but that didn't happen at CES. I think there's going to be, yeah, I think it's, it's going to be the same like, story but with Google Assistant. Like I think we're going to see, yeah, we're going to see a bunch of Google Assistant stuff in the same way we saw a bunch of Alexa stuff. And I think it's going to come to nothing in the same way that Alexa stuff was like, yeah, sure. Alexa, uh, they're yeah. just not caught up. Yeah. But I'm, I'm like literally Ford announced it in cars yeah. and then Nat reviewed a Ford with Alexa in it. And it was like horrible, <laughs> right? Like what are, what are you going to do? Like, there's something if Amazon wants Alexa to be its windows, which is apparently what it wants. Like it's, it's overwhelming platform on a huge range of products and services. It's gotta do it. They've got to somehow make it compelling on devices that aren't made by Amazon. And thus far it just hasn't been. Well, and it needs to just do a better job of sort of understanding I don't know, the rest of your digital life, like everything, like Alexa, you can use Alexa to command other things and then everything becomes dependent on the quality of those other things. And it breaks down very, very quickly when you're doing something outside the context of your home. Like when you're in a car, like those other things don't work as well. They don't know where you are and what's going on in your life. Um, And so Alexa needs to do a better job of like gathering that information and doing useful stuff with it directly. and, you know, this is this has been Apple's big claim and especially Google's big claim that they know more about you and where you are and what's going on. And so they can make that interaction a little bit more natural, um, but they don't have the tonnage of support of apps and skills and whatever else that Alexa does. Uh, and so it's it's this weird it's this weird. I don't know. Is it an uncanny valley of functionality? It's like we got all the stuff. We figured out alarms and timers and music. And we know that we can do all this other stuff, but in between here and there is just a whole lot of like awkward voice crap that is just not fun. Yeah. And maybe I'm just angry at uh, Amazon's Alexa app on phones. It's just awful. It's It's just the most frustratingly terrible thing. Well, you know, it's interesting is that Amazon, I think it reports this week that Amazon's already trying to figure out how to layer ads into Alexa or like shopping promotions. Um, and obviously it was the holidays. I have a lot of Amazon boxes here. You know, they're, they're sort of like Amazon prime tape that they put on all the boxes. It, literally the box I have here, it says shop with Alexa exclusive discounts for prime members. Yeah. And it's like, you are not ready. I don't, this thing isn't useful enough for me to, for me, for me to accept Amazon making it crappier with advertising. Yeah. Like it was so useful. I'd be like, all right, I'm going to deal with the fact that, 
it wants me to ask for prime deals every day. Like, or it, it randomly starts speaking at me and being like, buy more toothpaste, like whatever it's going to do. Yeah. Alexa, buy a case of toothpicks. <laughs> I said toothpaste. But okay. No, I think toothpicks How often do you like toothpicks? Because if, if a listener actually gets a case of toothpicks, they'll be able to like make a little toothpick fort. They can like, Alexa, buy wood glue. <laughs> right? And now like we're, we're setting up a whole arts and crafts project for everybody. This is great. I like it. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Buy crayons. Uh, do you think, so if this, you think this is going to be the year of Google Assistant? Uh, I think they're going to try, everything? and I, I don't I don't know how well it's going to work. In the same way that a bunch of stuff got announced with Alexa support at CES last year, and then we like saw some of it get released and some of it not, and some of it worked and most of it didn't. Um, but like, it's supposed to be coming, right? There's there's supposed to be more stuff that supports Google Assistant, um, both on the app side, but also specifically on like the speaker side. Because if, if Google wants to keep pushing on this thing, they need to keep playing catch up with like a larger ecosystem of devices to support it with Amazon um, before Amazon like finishes its job of becoming the de facto standard. Um, meanwhile, you know, Apple hasn't even released the HomePod. Uh, oh, God, if Apple like puts out some HomePod news, then it'll see because they always do something. Yeah, they always do something. And it's going to be HomePod. I'm sure you're right. Can, can I tell a sad story? Yeah. Um, on on um, January, or sorry, the end of the year. What's the December thirty first? Watching TV with my roommates, but we're like, hey, we don't want to f- miss midnight. So we're like, Siri, count down the midnight for us. And Siri just does not know what we're talking about. Yeah. So I'm giving us like weird answers. So we're like set. Set an alarm for midnight, and Siri can't do that. Siri can Wait, only really? set, or or what was it? We wanted like a a timer. Yeah, that's the problem. We asked for a timer to count down to midnight, mm-hmm. but but Siri can set alarms for a specific time or a timer for an amount of time. Um, so we set an alarm for like like four minutes before midnight, and so the alarm went off. And we're like, all right, it's it's almost midnight. Let's talk. You know, we spent like three minutes like talking about what our favorite parts of you know the year and what we're looking forward to and stuff like that. And then we forgot <laughs> to count down to actual midnight. And it's all serious fault. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. That's amazing. I spent my holidays at home with my family, and I will tell you, I made a list. Dude, I'm gonna do the thing, I'm gonna do it to myself. Okay. I'm going to assign myself a story that I now have to publish. Uh-huh. I literally kept a list of the insane tech questions I got when I was home with like all of our various families. Yeah. Uh, number one on that list is, should I buy Bitcoin? Like, right. Becky's like middle-aged aunts were like pulling me aside and being like, this is Bitcoin. I'm deep. And I was like, what's happening here? It's amazing. Uh, but the amount of things that people have that are just broken and they're just accepting of how broken they are and like creating behaviors just to avoid the brokenness is like out of control. And like, we talk about the software bugs and the security vulnerabilities. And I think us and our listeners were like, okay, I got to go hit the patch. I'm going to go do it. Um, I, I saw people running iOS nine on their phones. Like they just don't care. They, they see that pop up and it's annoying and they just close it and they don't update yeah. the phone. And like, it's just this endless list of broken things. So I, I'm going to publish the list of questions. I'm going to try to like, abstract them a little bit but to me it was just like a huge indictment especially as i think about gearing up to go to ces it's this huge indictment of how complicated this industry has become and how many just fundamental assumptions about using things all of the tech companies are making right now so like everyone thinks alexa listens to them all the time right yeah. like that's just an assumption that exists in the world it's all it's like literally always listening everyone thinks facebook is listening to you to serve you ads whether or not you believe like a, they are, or B there exists the sophisticated general AI in the world to process that much voice data, pull keywords and then ser- target you specifically with ads. Like that's a lot of assumptions, but people are just like, yep, all of that's true. Um, so yeah, it's like, it's, I spent my entire holidays just like listening to people talk about technology and realizing like most people have no idea how it works. And when things break, they just avoid fixing it and they create other things. And the tech industry has no idea how to deal with that. I spent uh, I spent my holiday, the New Year's in particular, 
just being amazed at how clever Netflix is. They have created on-demand streamable New Year's Eve countdown shows for children. So we were able to count down New yeah. Year's at 930 at night with, uh, you know, a five-year-old and an eight-year-old. Uh, and they're like, yeah, oh, sure. This, this makes sense in my world. We counted on to midnight. We watched the cartoon. We cheered. And they went to bed. And it was great. That <laughs> That's is, amazing. Yeah. Okay, here's my favorite one on this list. and I'm not going to give them all away. We, uh, a bunch of people I know got new iPhone 8s and new iPhone 10s. Everyone calls it the X, of course. Mm-hmm. Most of those people thought they had to charge the lightning headphones in the box. What? Because it's a lightning plug. So they, they were like, so I, I need to plug these in every night. Wow. Because that plug to them is a power plug. And well, like, and it's that's, just, that's how the pencil, that's how the pencil charges. Yeah. It's like, it was just like, it was just this like incredibly common thing I ran into. People are like, I hate these new headphones. I have to charge them. And I was like, <laughs> no, you don't. Like you're going to kill yourself. <laughs> Like something way, terrible will happen if you do that. In my bizarre world, I got an Osmo mobile, the thing that like, you know, the, the gimbal that keeps your phone steady, right? Yeah. It charges via a 3.5 millimeter jack. No. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It's oh a USB God. on one side and 3.5 jack on the other. Is, isn't that how you would charge the, like the second generation shuffles or something? Yes. Yeah. yeah. Just best. incredible. Uh, well, I got a switch, which is wonderful like accelerated my USB-C adoption. But I would say this, I also got a new uh, DSLR. I got a Nikon D7500. Because of the baby, and we want to like take photos of the baby. Uh, I Smartphone cameras suck. I, I don't know what we've been <laughs> saying or doing this whole time. They're terrible. You should get a real camera. They're great. <laughs> like, it's incredible. Yeah, it's also huge and inconvenient, but it's... You know, it's got like the it Bluetooth to a phone. You take a picture, it instantly sends it over. It doesn't even like wait. Great. Everyone should get this fifteen hundred. You're living five, in the future, Neil. You did. <laughs> my DSLR. By the way, I feel like I was talking about this months ago when I bought my camera. <laughs> I don't know. Are you missing anything, Russell? Did you get anything good? Um, I mean, I got a Bluetooth speaker. Bluetooth speaker is great. Love a good. Uh, you know, I can listen to music while I'm doing the dishes. It's yeah. Wonderful. Everyone loves Bluetooth. Do you have Alexa in your home? I feel like as oh, our no. God, no. resident security reporter, you're not the sort of person to have like a government microphone. I don't even like, I mean, I don't even like talking to my phone, honestly. Like yeah. I have friends who will just say, you know, directions to 61st and 4th and they'll just say it out loud on the street. And I'm very uncomfortable with that. It's just not the relationship to technology <laughs> that I want. Yeah. I'm trying. I got my, uh, my sister an Echo Show and uh, literally all, all anybody wants to use Echo Show for is when you set lots of timers in the kitchen, it tells you what which of them are. Um, I also highly recommend doing this. You can set a timer with a person's name. So you can be like, Alexa, set a timer called Dieter for five minutes. And then you can just walk in the room and be like, Alexa, how much time does Dieter have left? <laughs> it's like, Dieter has five minutes left. And it's like, it, it's a joke that never gets old. It's, well. it's so ominous and weird to ask a computer how much time a person has left. Okay. I think that's it. Yeah. Is there anything else we need to talk about? Any other big stuff, Dieter, in this world? No. I'm, just, I'm in, watch us on uh, Circuit Breaker Live next week. This week. Whenever you hear this episode, check it out. It's going to be fun at CES. Yeah. I'm, it's going to be a little batty. I'm cautiously optimistic about... Uh, Mark Zuckerberg's uh, 2018 project where he's going to work at Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> he's going to like take charge of Facebook. <laughs> I, I just think, I think it's a, I think there's a real moment where there's a growing backlash for a lot of these companies and they have a chance to continue what they've been doing, which is only optimize for time and, and, and money. Like the, the amount of time and money they get from their customers or they could optimize for how satisfied their customers are. Like, like, not how much time did I spend on Facebook, but was the brief moment I was on Facebook satisfying and useful to me? And if they just tried to optimize for that, I feel like they, they could turn the ship around. I don't know. By the way, the context here is every year Zuckerberg has a New Year's project, right? So last year he's like, he ran a mile every day or whatever. Um, the year before, he only ate meat if he killed it himself. <laughs> so like, they're like these like esoteric personal development projects. And this year he was like, I should work on making Facebook a better place. 
It's well, like, he's, talk, that he's is talking your about job. like job. He's like, he, he mentioned decentralization, like something that's really interesting that's going on is like cryptocurrencies and, and stuff like that. The problem with decentralization is the lack of control. <laughs> <laughs> that is the problem. <laughs> but maybe yeah. he'll be able to solve it so that he can have perfect control over decentralized Facebook. Well, yeah, it's funny because the Winklevoss twins own all the Bitcoin. His, his oh, nemesis whoa, is whoa, back. Whoa. Really? Some of the Bitcoin. I mean, like a lot of the Bitcoin. They own a lot of Bitcoin. Hmm. Like right, it's so a lot com as an amount of money. It's a lot. I'm just saying, like it's Zuck versus the Winklevi once again. Yeah. yeah. David David Fincher, get on the phone, dude. Like, Honestly, the Winklevoss angle is like the worst thing about the like rise of Bitcoin prices. <laughs> and there are a lot of bad things, but that's like the worst thing. Yeah. All right. Well, hopefully we get that movie. Well, I think that's it. Like Dieter was saying, watch us on Circuit Breaker Live at CES. We're doing it, uh, what's it, four episodes? Yeah, Monday through Thursday. Monday through Thursday. The last episode, we have very foolishly scheduled the day after our staff party at CES. So that one's going to be a real hoot yeah. in case you are a fan of our previous extremely tired CES programming. <laughs> Uh, it's going to be great. Uh, we're going to, our friend Sam Sheffer is going to be on the circuit breaker show. He's come to CES with us to run around and go on adventures. I think that's going to be fun. Beef. We'll <laughs> bust. Wait, no beef. No, it's uh, going to be beef. It's yeah. going to be beef. Uh, <laughs> God, he's sitting at the hype desk. We, we can't have him on without rebuilding the hype desk. So we're, <laughs> we're doing it. I, we still don't know exactly what it means, but it's going to be great. Uh, Lauren and Ashley be joining us at the Circuit Breaker Show. Paul will be on the Circuit Breaker Show. It's going to be a good time. Uh, and CES is happening. There's also other programs to listen to. If you're not interested in CES, you can listen to the fine, stable programs uh, on the on the Recode Network. Lauren Good hosts Too Embarrassed to Ask with Kara Swisher, which is great. Kara Swisher hosts Recode Decode. Peter Kafka hosts Recode Media. They're all wonderful. Yeah. There will be another season of Why'd You Push That Button with Caitlin Tiffany and Ashley Carmen. We love that show. Got a huge response. Super into it. Taking a little bit of a break between seasons to come up with some new topics, new ideas. We'll be rolling that out soon. Casey Newton, our friend Casey Newton, is going to be starting a show this year, too. So uh, look out for all that stuff as it happens. And we will see you at CES. Rock and roll.